his church is in what Ohio? Ohio? Yeah. And we were watching it today, and he had a gentleman, Brandon Holthouse. Holthouse. From, from he has a church. He also does prophecy updates. He has a church in Bakersfield, California. So there's just a ton out there. Uh, um, I know you know this, and trying to keep up with it is just pretty difficult. So. If you're really into this stuff, um, and if you feel like it sheds more light on God's word and what God is doing in this day and age, then it's it's it just helps, I think. Um, now, last week we did this slide, I believe, the Ten Nation Kingdom, and we talked about the fact that there is a group called the Club of Rome, um, also known as the Three Hundred. They have <laughs> they're kind of funny. Globalists are funny to me, and when I say globalists, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but I just want to make sure that you know we're on the same page. A globalist is someone who um, is working and using all their efforts to bring the world together as one. Well. That's what a globalist basically is, in my opinion. And so we have these globalists, this is what they do behind the scenes. We know who they're energized by. They're energized by uh, our enemy, our spiritual enemy, Satan. And they do things like this. They get together in their big committees and they go, well, look, if we were to divide the world up into ten parts, what would that look like? How would we do that? And they literally do it on paper. So, and then they put it on the Internet. So we can, we can go see what they've done. And it, it's no different than the World Economic Forum right now, um, which is, I'm sure you've heard of it, Klaus Schwab, um, he recently commented on something that I thought was very interesting. He said, we have got, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, uh, uh, a preponderance of people in the Canadian cabinet, parliament. And what he's talking about is, he's talking about the people that have graduated from his, Klaus's, global leadership school. And you're probably familiar with it. And he brags about the fact that that so many graduates from his global leadership school are now placed, placed, not voted, but placed in government like Canada, Austria, Germany. France. Pardon me? France. France, other places. And you have to wonder, and you go, well, what do these people do? Well, it's interesting if you, I forget her name, but the um, Christine finance minister or something in Canada, she was giving a talk and it was very, very measured. You could tell that every word she was saying was either something that was perfectly scripted or she had memorized. And she was talking about the fact that what they were going to do to all these truckers who were protesting freedom or anti-freedom, they were protesting for it. And everything she said was totally fascist. Everything. It was tyrannical, it was fascist, it was... And this is what's unfortunately going on in Canada. But this is all due to people who are in these little elitist clubs that have the power, they have the money, they have the control, and they're exercising it. You know, you hear Bill Gates make comments like this all the time. One of his most recent ones was, he actually said this, uh, sadly, sadly, he said this, started off with this, sadly... Uh, the Omicron variant is doing a better job as the vaccine than the vaccine we created. But he said, started that off with the word, sadly. And you just kind of wonder what the implications now. And then he also said in the, kind of the same breath that another pandemic's coming. So <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm pandemic out. I don't know about you, but it's like, I'm not sure I'm going to notice it. Daniel 7, 23 to 24, we, we touched on this last week. Um, there's a fourth kingdom on earth. Hey, folks. Hey. And we're like, no worries, no worries. <laughs> and uh, I was just filling Thank up you. the room with hot air because the heating hasn't kicked on yet. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, how are you, sir? I'm fine. I see you had surgery. Yeah. It turned out okay. It did. Excellent. Sure, but it's okay. All right. Excellent. Well, the fourth kingdom, which shall be different from all other kingdoms. And if you remember in Daniel 2, I mean, I've taught the whole book of Daniel. And 
if you go back to Daniel 2, that was where Nebuchadnezzar had his dream. And, of course, he could not, he couldn't figure out what it meant. And Nebuchadnezzar was no slouch. He didn't sit there, good evening, how are you, sir? Um, so he could not figure out what it meant. None of his counselors or wise men could figure out what it meant. Daniel could. And I love the way Nebuchadnezzar approached that. Tell me what my dream was, and then tell me the interpretation. I love that. The guy was no slouch. Oh, nobody could do that, your majesty. No, no. oh, Nebuchadnezzar, great and all. Nobody could do that. If you can't do it, then I know you're just pulling my leg. And he got exactly what he wanted. But this is simply a continuation kind of, of chapter 2 with a little bit more information. A fourth kingdom on the earth which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole world. The whole world. Jesus said this also in the Olivet Discourse. Uh, the whole world. And so what we're talking about there is not the known world. We're talking about the entire world. Trample it and break it into pieces. So this fourth kingdom is going to come to a point, rise up at some point in future history, certainly from Daniel's perspective, still from ours, and it is going to trample and break into pieces every other kingdom that came before it. Then the ten horns are the ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and this, of course, is in Revelation 13 and Revelation 17. Um, another shall rise after them. See, this is, to me, absolutely fascinating, because it's just laid bare. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three of them. Now, depending on the, de uh, the uh, translation, some of them are more direct in the implication. That he's not just going to subdue them, he's going to uproot them. That's what one translation says. <clears throat> so what's interesting here is another shall rise after them. So this guy, not part of the ten horns, not the ten kings, this is the same group, this guy is going to come after those. When we get to Revelation 13, we'll talk more about this because this group of ten is also, by the way, the ten toes of Daniel 2. Yeah. Same, same ten. So, um, which is why when Jesus, the rock, returns, the rock made without hands, Amen. it comes and smashes the statue where? At its feet, and everything blows away. Everything, Because at that point, the only thing that's remaining is the feet, although um, there are parts of every kingdom that came to it previously in the feet, too. But we've got the ten horns, the ten kings, and then this guy. And this is fascinating to me. This guy, Antichrist, is also the first seal of Revelation 6. So it's the same guy. But what's fascinating about this is that... These ten horns, which are ten kings, will rise up at some point in future history, and they will become the rulers of the final global kingdom that will be destroyed when Jesus returns physically. They'll do all the grunt work, and they're doing it now. They'll do all the grunt work, and then this guy waltzes in, literally waltzes in, and takes it from them. Why? Because he is totally empowered by Satan. He takes it from them and he subdues three of those kings or he uproots three of the kings, meaning many conservative uh, commentators believe he's going to kill three of them. And he's going to be showing them, look, I just, I just off three of those kings. There's seven of you left. You're going to follow me, or are you facing the same fate? And they're not stupid, so they're going to pledge loyalty to him. Although that kind of breaks apart later, but that's interesting. So this is Daniel 7. This is the ten-nation kingdom. Again, this is a little bit more information than was given in chapter 2 of Daniel. But that's where we are right now. The fourth kingdom, again, will devour the entire world. And we know it's not talking about the known world at that time, but the entire world. And then, uh, because of what Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. This has not happened yet. But what's interesting is, and I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist, because I don't think I am one, but... I think you would agree with me that we're probably moving toward that time. 
I mean, I, I think it's kind of, you know, it, it seems like things are kind of falling into place. You've got what's happening in Canada. You've got what's happening in Europe. You've got what's happening in the UK. And even though it's interesting that, that a lot of these countries now are backing off with all their COVID restrictions and everything else, they're starting to push a digital passport even further and harder than they were before. So I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult to make that happen in the U.S., but they're still going to push for it. And once they get, oh, that was the other thing I was just reading too, um, the, the world banks, the central banks are starting to push a central bank digital currency. So they want to replace all paper currency. They want to get rid of all of it. And they want to just say, no, 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 you've got digital currency. And they're probably going to make it very enticing for everybody to want to come on board. Oh, if you want to sign up for this early, you'll get 20, 30,000, 40, 50,000 uh, digital currency points right in your account. Boom, right off the bat. And they'll make it real palatable for people to want to do this. And then after a while, it's not going to be a choice. It's going to be, everybody's going to be going that way. And, and unfortunately, I mean, look what they're doing in Canada right now. They're, with all the, the truckers that everything was peaceful until, unfortunately, the police showed up and um, then it started going south. But, but, but beyond that, what they're doing is they have aggressively stated that they are going after all these people, even if they left. If you left, don't think you're safe. We're going to hunt you down. We are going to take over and freeze all of your assets, your banks, everything. And then somebody asked the chief of police, well, what if they were a Trump supporter? Well, if they're a Trump supporter, they better be worried. And you think, what does Trump have to do with Canada? <laughs> what, what, what is going on? That's weird. But anyway, there's something, there's something really going on. And I think it's all leading to this, I was talking to a friend, we both went to the same Bible college years ago, and uh, he, he has, a, has a, had a few changes of opinions over the years, um, but one thing he said was he doesn't believe that the tribulation is just, he thinks it's going to happen just, it'll just one day be there, quote, out of the mist. That's the expression he used in an email to me, and I didn't bother agreeing or disagreeing with him, but I don't, I don't see it that way. I think what's happening now is all the building blocks that are being deliberately put into place so that it's stepping up to and then finally all of a sudden everything is going to be ripe for the tribulation to begin. But and, but and I just I mean I just had a thought about the money thing. I mean, you think about our our parents generation only used paper money. Right. You know, and then we use paper money and checks and debit cards. But well, the future yeah, but, generations, right. like our children and their children, cash money isn't even something. I mean, even our own daughter says, well, "I don't know where my checkbook is. I haven't used it in years." So everything is done with a card digitally. Oh, yeah, phone, I don't know. Pardon me. The phone. You call oh, yeah. your phone. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. That's phone. what our kids do when we write them a check. They just take a picture of it on their phone and it goes into their bank account. <laughs> they don't need the check. And when I was growing up, my parents didn't have a credit card forever. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time they got a credit card. If you wanted to buy something and make payments, what was it called? Layaway. Layaway. <laughs> and you made a payment on that every week or every month, however the deal was. And then when you paid for the whole thing, that's when you got to take it home. And then they came out with credit cards where you could buy on credit. And of course, only rich people had those. So it kind of created this class thing in society, but then everybody could get a credit card. And now everybody has not having real money right. will, won't bother a right. whole lot of people. I told Sylvia, yeah. I said, you know, we need to keep like, it, like I don't know, a couple hundred money. bucks in our wallets all the time <laughs> just to have cash. But it's just weird because we are moving to a place where you don't need money. You know, I, I pass the gas stations just like you do, and it's funny because it says cash is one price. Credit is, and it's like, who carries cash? You just pop your credit, your debit card in there, or whatever, and there it goes. Have, well, have you ever come across the idea of the social credit system? Oh yeah, yeah. That oh yeah, that's a, China. that's what I believe we're moving to. Like once it's digital, yeah. then they can freeze your bank account. Oh, or absolutely. Just push a delete button, and you don't. We don't oh, yeah. like your politics, so. 
Absolutely. And, and that's what they're doing in Canada to an extent right now. But yes, I believe that's... When, when, I, first, when I first heard of the, the Chinese social credit system, I thought, this has got to be a joke. It's got to be a joke. And then I started researching and I thought, it's not a joke. Those poor people, if they say something... If they go somewhere, if they do something, their credit scores are trounced. Social credit scores. And you know who set up, helped them set up that system, by the way? Facebook. Google. Google. Google and Facebook, both. Facial recognition software. Facial recognition software, which is why 5G is so important. Because the police officers in China, they wear special glasses, some of them, that they're in big crowds, instantly. Facial recognition, you, they see you coming this way and they know exactly who you are, they know what your social credit score is. There's two huge buildings in, uh, in what is it? One big Shanghai, Shanghai I think it is. Two big buildings, that's all they do. People just work in those buildings and they're constantly manipulating <coughs> credit scores. So is it coming to the rest of the world? Well, eventually it will, we know that because the Bible says you can't do what? In revenue. You can't buy or sell. Can't buy or sell without the mark. A lot of people have thought that the vaccine was the mark, and every time I would say something, I said, No, I don't think so. No, but it could lead to it. It could this system could lead to that. But is this COVID vaccine? I don't believe so. But maybe a dress person. It, it could, it could. We don't really know. The, the, the mark of the beast is the second piece. Uh, the mark of the beast, right? He's the false so the first prophet. First beast has to come and unite all the nations under him. Right, and then the false prophet comes along, and he's the one who has the same authority as the first beast, which we'll get to eventually. And he's the one who says, "You know what? You can't buy or sell anything unless you worship the beast and get that mark." That's what's coming. So, from this one kingdom, the world will be divided into ten parts. So, the world's going to be coalesced as one. And then they'll divide it up into ten easy kingdoms so that there will be one person over one section. So, in order for this to happen, this has to happen. And you've heard of the Great Reset. If you haven't heard of the Great Reset, I, I suggest strongly that you seriously check that out. And, and when somebody says to me, oh, that's just conspiracy theory, it's like, well, then Klaus Schwab. They got a website. I know. Yeah. There's, a book, there's a book he and a partner wrote called The Great Reset. Or, and now they're talking about the great narrative. And in just a few minutes, Sylvia reminded me, I want to mention to you, which I mentioned last week about Agenda 2030. If you're not familiar with that, I cannot strongly enough recommend that you do some research on uh, 2030 because it's, it's really, really interesting, if I could find it real quick here. And Danny Jones did a good sermon on it. Oh yeah, Reverend Danny Jones, um, he's a Southern Baptist uh, pastor up in Gainesville, Georgia, Danny Jones. He did a he's done some excellent sermons on COVID and the whole situation we're in. And he was a... Um, he was a what? A, a bi uh, biology, biology, some kind of scientist before he went into pastoral work. It's very fascinating. So he can bring all that with him and talks about, you know, all kinds of stuff. The world, it must experience a global crash first. Well, we're not that far. I mean, look, we've got inflation happening right now. That's ridiculous, right? And we know how it started, but it's... it's I mean, gas is just skyrocketing. It's ridiculous. But what people don't consider is when gas goes up, what else goes up? Everything. Because it takes gas to get all the products to the stores. So everything's going up. Sylvia and I have, uh, we have <laughs> three little chest freezers in our garage, plus a, another refrigerator freezer in our garage, plus our freezer in our house, and... Um, so we decided, what should we fill it with? I know. Caldwell Farms meat, basically. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, I don't want to be at a point where I'm sitting there going, well, huh, there's nothing available in stores that we can afford anymore, so. We'll have and, eggs again. What's that? We'll have eggs again. We'll have eggs, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah, our chickens are actually coming through. Yeah. Anyway, the world must experience a global crash, and, and that's what they're really pushing for. 
honestly, I think. Um, and all the signs seem to point to that. If we talk about the fact, and we won't get into this too much, but you know as well as I do that many nations are either going bankrupt or on the verge of bankruptcy or barely hanging on with it by a thread. And I'm not sure that the United States can sustain more debt. I mean, how much date, debt do we have? 30 trillion. Yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you do that? If that was you and I, the bank would have already foreclosed on us and thrown us in pauper's prison if they still had that. But What's that? Keep raising the debt. I know, right? It's crazy. It's crazy. So the European Union, I mentioned this I think last time, seems poised to collapse. It's not, it's not really strong, but what I think is fascinating about the EU is it is largely in the same area where the old Roman Empire was, with the exception of the northern part of Africa. So um, that's interesting about the EU. The UK is trying to get out. They've been trying to get out for the past two to three years. I don't know if they actually are or they're not. I don't know. The United States is in danger of being swallowed by its ever-increasing debt. And what's fascinating about the Agenda 2030 is that they're going to need billions and billions and billions of dollars to finance the goals that they're trying to finance. And it started in 2015, and they want it fully implemented by 2030. And so all you have to do is go to the website, uh, World Economic Forum, or the UN's website, and look up uh, Agenda 2030, and you can read the documents yourself. I mean, I've had people tell me, well, that's just kind of conspiracy, and it's like, well, but, but here are the documents. The man wrote a book. Yeah, these are the documents. I mean, it may sound far-fetched. Okay, I can buy that. It may sound a little bit far-fetched, but when we see what they're actually trying to push and what they're accomplishing, and here it is, what year? 2022? And it started in 2015? And how far along are we? And we've only got eight more years before 2030 gets here. So a lot can happen in eight years based on what's happening now just in Canada alone. And now we've got the, the trucker convoy starting in California. I think it's starting in Barstow uh, on the 28th. And it's going to go all the way to... You know, I, I pray for people's safety. I get why they're doing it. I fully support why they're doing it. But I pray for their safety because I'm not sure what's going to happen. But we'll see. And then we've got, uh, we are globally, we're moving toward a global crash. And that's why they're going to have to eventually do something, which means get rid of cash, get rid of money. Everything goes digital. I was talking to our financial planner about that. And I said, I'm confused. I said, um, what happens if we have a crash? What happens to my money? in my retirement accounts. <laughs> and he goes, well, the way I understand it is that what will happen is you'll be given so much credit per whatever thousands you have in your... It's like, okay, well, that's the best they can do, I guess. But it just makes you kind of wonder um, because you, you, you work for your retirement you plan for your retirement, and then you plan when you retire to be able to use your retirement, and all of a sudden it's maybe not there because it's been converted to something digital, and how do we even know if that's fair or not? Here's what I want to read you from uh, the Agenda 2030 real quickly, just a short paragraph here. Um, this is the Central United Nations platform for what they call sustainable development. And we all know those are code words. We all know what that means. Sustainable development. It means they want to control what we do, what we, where we can go. They want to control basically our carbon footprint. So if they deem that our carbon footprint is too big, then they can, quote-unquote, turn off our carbon footprint. So in order to be able to do that, they first have to be able to control all things in the world. And it boils down to 17 goals, and there's 193 member states, including the U.S., that are pledged to ensure. But what's really interesting, it's, uh, it's a very wordy document if you've ever had the chance to look or interest in looking through it. It's like, 
I mean, they, they, these people are wordsmiths. They, they use a million words and not say a whole lot sometimes. Um, but the basic facts, it was created in 2015. It has 17 sustainable goals and 169 targets. Who is working on this stuff? People like Klaus Schwab, people like Bill Gates, people like the Rockefellers, people that you don't even hear about in the news. You've heard of the Rothschilds, but there are people who are have deeper money, older money than those people that you never hear about. These are the wealthiest, wealthiest, wealthiest people in the world. And so when COVID came along, they used this, and I'm not saying that COVID was not a real disease, but I'm saying they used it for their benefit, mightily, and they gained quite a bit. Um, so um, the UN is also involved in this. There are basically five Ps in the Agenda 2030. People, planet, prosperity, peace, partnership. And you've also probably heard Klaus Schwab say, I don't want to make fun of the guy, but he's <laughs> German and he's, he's interesting. His, his, his history goes back to Nazi Germany. Um, so anyway, he says, you will own nothing and you will be happy. And you're sitting there going, wait a minute, I don't own a lot right now, but I like what I own. I've earned it. I've worked hard to get it. You're saying I'm not going to have anything and I'm going to be happy. And they have a plan for that. So this is what is happening. They want to end poverty in all its forms. It's a noble goal. They want to end hunger and achieve food security and improve nutrition and promote sustainable agriculture. Well, the problem with this is that a few years ago, it was determined that we had enough wheat in the world then to feed everybody. Why didn't we? Why didn't we? We didn't. We didn't. We let people starve. And we're still letting people starve. So... I don't know how true this is, but I've also heard that, it, which is one of their things, if you do away with fossil fuels and petroleum, you know, the, the fertilizer that we use for mass farming, yeah. you're not going to be able to have that kind of fertilizer without natural gas. So right. what you're going to have is a mass die-off of starvation. Oh, yeah. Right. Producing it, which is what they really want with fossil fuels. You're not going to have the equipment to go out there and raise that kind right. of food. It, it's just kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and really, what we're, what I think we're moving well, before toward. Before we had that kind of, of, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. You no know, right. Back when we were using cow manure and composting, you didn't have 7 billion people on the planet. Right. You wouldn't have been able to produce the food to right. 7 billion. Yeah, well, it's, it's, the whole thing is interesting. But what I think we're obviously moving to is a world of lords and serfs again, really. That's what they're looking at. The, the, the people like Klaus Schwab are the upper echelon and um, the rest of us are down here. And that's kind of what they want. And they, they yeah. think they're going to make us happy. You're talking about these ten kings. Yes. You don't know that there won't be economic kings. Oh, you know, right. that's a That's a different kind of kingdom. Yeah. You know, I Give have, me an example. Um, like a corporation. Oh, Facebook. right, right. You know, so the guy that runs Facebook is a king. Right. Because yeah. he, well, first of all, he's a multi-billionaire. He's yeah. won the last election. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of power. He has a lot of power. It is. A lot of influence. Too much. Yes. Way yeah. too much. Way too much for a social Well, I mean, you power. know, Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, although I kind of like his <laughs> I know, Sometimes I like him. He'll call out Trudeau or he'll call out somebody yeah. else. But uh, uh, what's the guy that runs Amazon? Bezos. Oh, Jeff Bezos. Bezos. He's a king. Oh, he yeah, he's a multi-billionaire. He's got oh, a lot of billionaire, influence. billionaire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and COVID helped with it. Mm -hmm. when when yeah. COVID when they shut down the economy so that only essential businesses could remain open. Whose businesses remained open? The More big the box places, Amazon. Yeah. And he became a billionaire two or three times over. So yeah. So anyway, getting back to this, this is all ties into all of this. We're going to eventually get this global crash. The people are going to go, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Then the Ten Kings will step up. There will be a one-world government. They're going to say, this is why we need to unite and create this 
sameness for everybody. Meanwhile, we'll be over here with our fly our jets and stuff. We're not going to worry about our carbon footprint. We're going to take away yours. And from here, a ten-nation confederacy will exist, which will make it easier to control. Obviously, if you have uh, some type of king over an area of the world, and then nine other little kingdoms over the, it makes it much easier to control. Well, and then you've got the Antichrist who comes along, and as I say, he comes from the outside, which is why the Bible says he is the eleventh over the ten, and gets rid of three, and he becomes the eighth, and the seven. Um, address him and, and become loyal to him. So a world that collapses based on current economies, that's going to happen. I'm surprised it hasn't happened before this, quite frankly, but it's just being artificially propped up in so many ways. And then we're going to get a new economy. It's going to be a green one. Isn't that going to be exciting? Um, <laughs> it, just, it just cracks you up. You think about all the ways they, the powerful people, want to manipulate the rest of us. And, you know, God's allowing this for a reason, right? That's the big thing. God is allowing this because he has an appointment and he is going, I mean, when he comes back, and when we get to that in Revelation, when he comes back in Revelation, the first thing he does is destroy the Antichrist with a word or just a breath from his mouth. Boom! And Antichrist will be the first resident in the lake of fire. Nobody's there yet. They're all sitting there in hell waiting for judgment, great white throne judgment. He will be the first one to go there and he will be thrown in alive. When Jesus comes, every eye is going to see him. I mean, the sky is going to split wide open. God is allowing this because of what he is going to accomplish. So that is probably the best positive that anybody could have, right? So in a way, it doesn't really matter what the world wants to throw at us. It's so, amazing how this whole green thing is just growing and growing, this whole climate change, and, you know, we have to have fake meat, and, you know, we have to eat climate change. <laughs> we can have beef. Exactly. What kind of exactly. idiot believes that? But there are do, a few. But they there, there are a few, uh, yes. And it's just, yeah, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah. Climate change has been going on since, well, since the beginning. Well, what I like about it is <laughs> not really climate change. they used to call it change. global warming, and then they realized, well, wait a minute. <laughs> it's freezing it's in the winter. <laughs> Some things are getting colder. We better change that. We'll call it climate change. So now if you disagree with climate change, you're a moron because the climate's always changing, right? <laughs> but it's stupid. It really is stupid. So we've got this new economy based on going green, and really what it's doing is it reverses, it tosses it on its head, the very nature of God's creation, where he made everything for whom? Human beings. Right, right. We are the pinnacle of his creation. The climate green changers come along and say, oh, no, 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 no. You know what? We can't take that tree out. Because there's a little mouse that lives there. And if we take that tree out, that's going to destroy that mouse's habitat. So it doesn't matter about people. we got to worry about that. I mean, this is what's going on. When we lived in California, That we heard that all the time. There was a smelt in the delta. So we can't dam this or save water or do this because it could kill the smelt. So everything, as far as climate change, there's some good things about it. I think we should recycle. I think we should be careful about our waste, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is God put us here as people to be the pinnacle of his creation, to control and subdue all the earth and be fruitful and multiply. And this turns it on its head. Well, it makes it so that they worship the... Let's see, they worship the creation rather than the creator. And this is exactly what happened in Genesis 11. We get introduced to a guy named Nimrod in Genesis 10. Nimrod. You ever called anybody a Nimrod? Don't be a Nimrod. But, you know, that guy, he doesn't get the credit he should because that guy, think about it. Everybody spoke one language then. All the cultures, the cultures were one. Everybody was one, united under Nimrod. He was already a king. He was already a great warrior, a hunter of men. The implication is that people saw him and he was so charismatic 
that they would just follow after this guy. And he had everybody going for the same thing. And so I remember Mark preaching on part of this uh, a while ago when he was doing Genesis. It was fascinating then too because he also mentioned that um, in Genesis 10 and 11 when they were building this tower to the heavens. And uh, I love what God says. God says, all right, let us go down. And why? That's such a neat play on words. Because Nimrod and his people were building this thing to heaven so that their God, not Jehovah, their God they worshipped could come down to them through this big ziggurat they were building. So God says, fine, let's go down and let's check things out. And that's what they wanted us to do. Let's do it. So we know the rest of the story. But it mirrors Genesis 11 because that's exactly what's going to happen at the end of this age. I mean, honestly, Satan doesn't know when the tribulation is supposed to start. He's not been given that information. Every generation, I believe, he has someone in the wings that could be used as the Antichrist. Every generation. He's always ready to put his man on stage if he sees he's getting the okay. Time? Okay, good. I'm, I'm ready. No? No? Okay. Next generation, maybe. So what happened, I think that's what he was doing with Genesis 11. He was raising up Nimrod to be that antichrist, to be the guy who was going to take over the world. Didn't work then. God said, nope, way too early. Way too early. I got a lot of things to do before this happens. My son's coming. He is going to live a sinless life. He didn't tell him all this, but you know what happened. Now what's going to happen at the end of the age, this is going to be rebuilt. It's being rebuilt right now. I mentioned last week that uh, this current pope uh, is really pushing Chrislam, a mixture, I don't know how, of Christianity and Islam, and they're building a center for it too. Nimrod gained all the people's allegiance. All the people worked together. God confused the languages and the culture groups. The world is becoming one in purpose again. Once God did this, it took generations and generations and generations before people started coming back together. And that really only happened um, not that long ago, honestly. Because it, it was, when I was growing up, people still spoke different languages. They didn't have electronic translators. Right. None of this stuff. Yeah, so now, now, you, now you carry it in your hand. You can carry it in your hand, in your phone. I, I've got an app that translates what you just said, and I can speak into it. And you, you know, it's it's amazing. So the world is becoming one again. It's happening, but so many people seem unaware of what's happening. So that's where we come in. You know, we should be getting the word out about the need for Christ more so than ever now. And the Olivet Discourse, I believe, describes the end of the age. And if you want to turn there, we don't have time to read it all, but Matthew 24 is where we're kind of getting into this. The end of the age occurs just prior to Jesus' return. Matthew 24. Are we living in that generation? Now, that's a big question. By the way, Dave, here you go. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to leave I don't want to accidentally take that home. <laughs> so are we living in this generation now? That's a big question. And when I say that generation, I'm talking about the last generation prior to the tribulation coming and happening and then Jesus coming again. And I, have, I don't know. I think we might be, but I don't know. I, you know, I don't even know how long I'm going to live. I mean, I can remember my grandmother thinking she was living in the last That's generation. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, and I remember my aunt saying Jesus is going to come during her lifetime. That was a common belief. Yeah. And I mean, probably has been throughout the generation. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. Because evil gets more pervasive all yeah. the time. I remember in the 70s when prophecy was really huge. I was really, really into it. You know, people wrote books like Salem, Kerbin, Hal Lindsey, all those books. I went to all those conferences. It was huge, and then it kind of died off. And now there's a resurgence because of what's happening in the world again. And there's nothing wrong with this at all. Um, it, it, I think it pays to be aware. 
Um, some people, I think, you can get almost too caught up into it and then not see what's going around you, but um, I don't think that's any of us, but I know some people that they, they just focus their, their myopic about it, and, and maybe they shouldn't be, but, but that's up to them. So there are over 400 prophecies related to the Messiah in Scripture, and Jesus fulfilled most of them 2,000 years ago when he walked this earth. However... There are a number that have not been fulfilled. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. If you read those passages, those two verses, Zechariah 9, 9 and 10, you see that Christ fulfilled verse 9. He has not fulfilled verse 10 yet. There's a huge gap in there, but when you look at those verses, there doesn't appear to be a gap. Mm -hmm. But there's a gap there. So he will fulfill the rest when he returns again. So, Matthew 23, Jesus has just finished arguing with the scribes and the Pharisees, and that's never a good situation for them. All it does is make them angry because they become speechless usually. They have nothing to say. Well, they look foolish. They do. They do. They look around to the the masses. They do. They're standing around. Yeah, and it's not like Jesus even had to work hard to make that happen. He uses their own words. That's a bad words with somebody that's smarter than you. Yes. Yeah. They, you know, so then they would back off, and then then they'd get the lawyers, the teachers of the law. Oh, good teacher. We have a question for you. You know, and then they try to get him, and it's just amazing. It never worked. They didn't realize who they were messing with. Either that or they realized and they hated him for it. The disciples meet him and then they point to the temple. So in the very first part of chapter 24, Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And they're like, Lord, look at these buildings. Aren't they fantastic? And I'm sure they were because Herod had spent, Herod was interesting, half Jewish. And so he wanted to make the Jews think he was with them, but he was also a Roman official, so he would cater to Rome, just like politics today. Just like politics today. Just like politics today. I was reading an article today about 20 Republicans who literally were bought by the Chinese. And you sit there and you go, oh, huh, interesting. You can't trust anybody. You can't trust anybody. You know, unless you personally know them. Um, Dan Crenshaw, remember him? Interesting guy. I don't want to get I don't want to get into politics, but he's the guy with the patch and uh, on his eye. Well, he went to Klaus Schwab's uh, globalist university. He went to his global. Yeah, I would not have ever figured no, that. No, now all of a sudden you realize, oh, he was just a Democrat hiding as a Republican. No wonder he said some of the things he did. So it's become, now it's becoming obvious because he knows the truth is out there. So, but what are you going to do? So Jesus is, is looking around and they point his attention to the temple and they go, boy, look at this. Isn't this beautiful? And, and Herod, I mean, he spent lots of money on this thing. Expanded the temple mount and everything. It just was awesome. He was doing the Jews a favor so they would like him. It was a political favor. And so Jesus basically cuts to it and say, um, you not you see all these stone, these stones? Well, here. Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now imagine that. Really? What? I mean, they may have been just trying to change the subject, get his mind off of whatever was going on with the Pharisees and the scribes. Oh Lord, look, isn't this beautiful? Well, I'll tell you something. This thing is going to be totally demolished. Really? Yes, really. So, they shouldn't marvel at the beauty because it's not going to be around. Not one stone will remain on top of another, and that happened when? Uh, A.D. 70. A.D. 70, not one stone. And you know why they were so, the Romans were so wonderful and so determined to get every stone? So they could get the gold out of every stone. There was gold inlay in almost every stone, and the Romans didn't want to just destroy it and throw it in the Kidron Valley next door. They wanted to melt all the gold out of it first, so they made sure every stone was gone. 
So, after hearing these comments, the disciples are a little bit kind of, their interest is very piqued and they're a little bit curious, and so they ask three questions. One of these things going to happen? They wanted to know. I would too, wouldn't you? And then they said, what will be the sign of your coming? They're already saying, they're already thinking to him, look, you've said you're going to die, and you've talked about your coming, so that must mean you're going to be raised from the dead. Okay, so when are you coming back? When are you coming back? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? So those three questions is what they're asking Christ here. And it's interesting the way he answers these questions. So the disciples understood that Jesus would be referring to the end. Now, what's interesting is the temple was not the end when it was destroyed. It happened in AD 70, but it was a sign pointing to the end. Here we are in 2022. And guess what? The temple is still flattened. And yet, Israel, listen to this, Israel on paper has control of the Temple Mount. On paper. They've had that since the Six-Day War. They can do whatever they want with it. They were kind enough to allow the Arabs to continue to be the police for the Temple Mount. And that's where they got into their big problem. I mean, with Moshe Dayan, when he led his troops into Israel uh, in the Six-Day War, they were able to take the eastern and the western part of Old Jerusalem and marry them together, which that, that was also fulfillment of uh, prophetic scripture in Ezekiel. That hadn't happened for hundreds and hundreds, a few thousand years. But it wasn't referring to their generation. And we'll get into this, because when Jesus said, when he says, this generation... There's a lot of, that takes a lot of flack, that one word, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Jesus came as Messiah. Religious leaders rejected him. The people received him, which is fascinating, during the triumphal entry. They received him. They knew who he was. They were ready to set him up as Messiah. But the religious leaders would have none of it. And so, no, it's not going to happen. That's your Zechariah 9, 9 and 10 direct fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. So in the Olivet Discourse, the triumphal entry, of course, has already occurred. And here we are. This is after that. Jesus knows his time is very short. You know, if you're like me, I'm sure. Haven't you ever thought, have you ever thought, I'm sure you have, what would go through Jesus' mind on the last few days that he knew he was going to be alive? I mean, that, that wow. It's hard to envision. But Jesus knew, obviously, his time was very short. He knew what was coming. He would be executed as a criminal. The, the Romans wouldn't get it. The Jewish leaders wouldn't get it. His followers wouldn't get it. Satan didn't even get it, as Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians. Satan didn't even get it. He, he did not get it. He didn't understand it. Satan's goal was to get rid of Jesus. He even wanted him to commit suicide in Matthew 4, remember? Oh, uh, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself off here because he says he'll guard you, you know, his angels will guard you up so you don't dash your foot against the stone. Go ahead, go ahead. He wanted him out of here. He did not realize the in-depth reality of what would happen in Christ's death. So the disciples were confused. Obviously, I would have been confused too. And I'm sure you would have been with me being confused. We might have tried to act like we weren't, but we would have been confused. They thought he came originally to overthrow Roman rule. They didn't understand his redemptive purposes at all. And when you stop to think about it, I mean, it's such a masterpiece, isn't it? it I mean, it is a masterpiece. Absolute masterpiece. Satan wanted Jesus dead so he could control the entire earth. And that's his goal. He is going to get his wish to literally control the earth. And he will be worshipped. Because as when we get to Revelation 13 and 17, we know, because it tells us that he will be fully empowering the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, the Antichrist. He will be the Antichrist's spiritual father. Satan will be invisible but he will be worshipped because the Antichrist is being worshipped. 
So he will get his wish. What he tried to do way back in Genesis 11, he will finally get to do. He will finally rule the world. So Jesus begins this section with a dire warning. See to it, no one misleads you. And he says that in verse 4. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And we're living through this stuff, which we'll get into. So he says, look, there's going to be false messiahs who are going to deceive many. We've had David Koresh. We have uh, a guy named Quillaboy in um, Philippines, who I think I told you he says he is Jesus reincarnated. Jim Um, Jones. Pardon me? Jim Jones. Jim Jones. But even just today, there's many people alive today. There's a number of people alive today that all say that they're Jesus. And even the ones who don't say they're Jesus, they believe they they have this Messiah complex that people follow them for. So Christ is saying, "Look, don't be deceived by these people. They're coming in my name, but they're only bringing lies." And since the '70s, there's been a tremendous Sung Myung Moon, David Koresh, Apollo Quibaloy—that's his name—many others. So they're here, and they're going to be more of them. And the biggest one is going to be who? Antichrist. Antichrist. Who will also be incidentally accepted as the final Mahdi, M-A-H-D-I, of the Islam religion. So he will be, and the Jews will see him as their Messiah. I mean, he's going to cover it all. He's going to have so much charisma and so much inner power. People will just be drawn to this guy. Supernatural wonders, Paul says. Birth pangs signal the approaching birth, right? When a woman is pregnant, she starts having birth pangs. The birth isn't that far away. Well, as I mentioned last week, there are nine birth pangs that Jesus talks about in in the Olivet Discourse, and we're going to be going over them. So, we've already experienced three of them to date, and we'll go over those. We don't know when the others will occur. And the timeline... See, this is interesting because God's very careful about this. He holds a lot of things close to his chest. He doesn't give us timelines necessarily. He gives us chronology. He tells us some of the events. Like, for instance, when we get into the start of the tribulation, Revelation 6 through 18, uh, chapter 6 through 18, it tells us all the events that are going to happen. Boom, boom, boom. But it doesn't tell us when. It doesn't say this is going to happen on March 3rd. This one's going to happen on April 6th. It doesn't tell us that. And the reason God doesn't do that is obvious, I think, because if he told us, then he'd be telling Satan. We don't need to know when these things happen. Chronology is good enough. That's all we need. So, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places, earthquakes and famines. This is interesting, because it's really a Jewish idiom. Nation rising against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. That's a Jewish idiom. What it simply means is, um, it means basically that, okay, one meaning, I'm finally getting to it. It means essentially complete global conflict. In the Old Testament, there were times when there was a specific area where it was in total conflict, and that would mean the same thing, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. But because it breaks it down like this, when Jesus said nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, it's a double emphasis, which means we're talking global kingdom, global conflict throughout the world. And when was the first one? World War I. Now, other people who disagree with this say, oh, no, no, the big one was the Spanish War. No, that wasn't, no. The, The big one was World War I. That happened on every continent. It was the first global continent. Conflict, excuse me. It happened all over the world. Almost every nation was involved in this. That is fulfillment of what Jesus is talking about. The World War I and then World War II. Most historians believe that World War II is simply a continuation of World War I with a slightly different emphasis because of Hitler. But in World War I, who were the big players? 
Germany, huh? Italy, Germany. Germany, Germany right. Yeah. Germany. Give me some names of the. Oh, leaders. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Who? Well, I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> oh, the Ka Kaiser Wilhelm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And oh, you know, World War One. World yeah, War One. World War One. But but what's interesting is why they think it was also a, co a continuation because uh, Kaiser Wilhelm, and then we get to World War Two, and who is it? it? We've got Hitler, and then we've got Stalin, and the United States is with I believe Stalin, if I if I remember correctly. We we sided with him against Hitler. Yeah, after and then Stalin became just as bad as Hitler did in so many ways. Yeah, so you know, but but ultimately, what we're talking about is global conflict. I want to wrap it up here in just a couple minutes. So this is birth pain number one: nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Jesus is telling that right there, verse uh, six. Now we're talking about World War Three. Yeah, we are. You know, Russia's getting all frosty up there. You yeah, they are. They were supposed to have attacked last Tuesday, though. Right. Yeah. See? Yeah. I don't know what he's going to do. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. Well, I don't think he's going to pay for it. Who? Uh, I don't know how he's going to pay for it. I mean, that's, it's got to cost a lot of money. It's going to cost money. Putin okay. is funny because he seems kind of like chill to me. It's like, eh. He doesn't seem like he's a warmonger. Maybe I'm missing something. It seems like Biden is more like pushing for it, but yeah. I could be wrong. Well, well, Biden's got a lot of raisins to, you know, he's got a 34 uh, percent. He does. He's right. doing really. I'm surprised he's, it's he's that got high. He's got a couple documents that need to be shredded in Ukraine, in Ukraine relating to his son. So. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. World War One gave rise to Zionism, which was the belief in that Israel should have its own nation. Right. Also, so. Declaration. Yes. So it gave rise to that. World War II directly gave birth to the nation of Israel. So I think that's fascinating. And if you go and we don't have time, but when you go into the book of Ezekiel, there are a number of prophecies about the fact that the nation of Israel will be regathered in unbelief, which is what's been happening since then. I mean, you go over there now. And, and where is this? What, where did you say? Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Yeah, I have to look up the exact passages. It's a, is it the dry bones? Oh yeah, Valley of the Dry Bones. Okay. Okay, thank you. But, um, yeah, so the World War II gave birth to the nation of Israel, and they've been gathered back there in unbelief since. So if you go over and talk to them right now, they're, most of these people, most of them are social Jews. They're not Orthodox right. Jews. There is obviously a contingent of Orthodox and super-Orthodox Jews, but most of them are just social Jews. They want to be with their own culture. So that's why they're there, because they feel like it's safe. And that's what God's using to get them back there. Because what is the tribulation about? It is mainly the time of Jacob's trouble because God is going to shake that nation as well as judge the world, but he's going to shake that nation and purge out all the rebels and get for himself a final remnant. Mm -hmm. So that's going to happen then. So over 100 nations involved in World War I whoops, took place on all continents. And then famines and earthquakes. This is fascinating to me. I took out some of these slides. I, I eliminated some of the information because it was, you got the idea. It was just going on and on. In 1918 and 1919, I think that was World War I, 23 million people died due to pestilence worldwide. And by the way, they did not shut down the economy then. <laughs> yeah. Okay, 1920, the Great Chinese Famine happened. 1921, the Great Russian Famine happened. And then earthquakes from AD 63. Check this out. This is all online. You can get this at... Uh, geological websites. AD 63 to 1896, there were 26 recorded earthquakes. Now, that doesn't mean only 26. That means that that's what they were able to record. They didn't have the machinery and the technology that we do today. But that takes you all the way up to 1896. In the 14th century, there were 157 major earthquakes, 15, 174. And you can see how it's kind of expanded and ramped up until we get to the 20th century, over 900,000 earthquakes and continuing. Something's going on with the world. These are all facts. So something, scientific facts. And, you know, something's going on. The world is kind of like, it's under a curse, right? So it's, it's kind of feeling like maybe... It's like deteriorating. Yeah. It is. It is. 
It is. Birth pang number one has been fulfilled. Israel will be regathered in the end times. Zephaniah 2, 1-2 says, Gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation not desire. And, and who has not? What, show me a country that doesn't hate Israel yeah. for some reason. For some reason. We know what the reason is. Because they birthed the Messiah. And if you really want a beautiful picture of this, just read Revelation 12. It's just such a beautiful picture of how Israel was birthed, you know, the woman, and they gave birth to the Messiah. It's just fascinating. Uh, before the decree bring forth, before the day passes the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, O nation not desired, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. So Zephaniah was warning Israel, this is going to happen to you one day. It's going to happen to you one day. And they're not innocent, that's why. And then the nations begin to come back together in unbelief, and that's what's happening now. And the Lord brings this about, they have no clue. So, if you don't mind, I'm going to go one more. We're going to go to the third, and then we'll stop for tonight. So the first birth pang, according to Christ, was global conflict, and then all the famines and earthquakes that happened as well. And we know this, by the way, from when there's a major war, there's always pestilence. There's always famine. There's always disease from it. You've got dead bodies laying in fields that people can't get to and bury right away. So all this stuff happens. Then the, the next one, the next birth pen was the state of Israel becoming a state in 1948. And the UN actually, quote unquote, gave permission for that to happen in 1948. And now, since then, all they've been doing is bad-mouthing Israel and blaming Israel for everything. China never gets blamed for anything, but Israel gets blamed for everything. <laughs> All right, so that's birth pain, too. And we'll stop with this one. Um, Ezekiel 20, 33 to 38, and Ezekiel 22, 17 through 20 speak of Israel's return in unbelief for judgment. That's what Israel's, that's what's going to be happening. And it refers to the tribulation included in the day of the Lord. We've talked about the day of the Lord briefly. Some people believe it includes the rapture, the tribulation, uh, the physical return of Christ. Others say, no, it's just the tribulation and the physical return of Christ. So we don't have to be dogmatic on that, but just so we know that there's a couple of different interpretations out there. And it's interesting because it's a gathering out of wrath and for wrath. So God is angry with them. He's gathering them from the nations who hate them because he's going to deal with them. Mano a mano. To purge rebels out of the nation. They've always had a rebel problem. Yeah, always. Since the first day they left Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. At least we had leeks and things to eat. <laughs> we'll reserve for himself a final remnant. And this remnant will be the group that goes into the millennial kingdom. Alive. They will survive the tribulation. They will go into it. And all the promises made to Abraham about Israel will be fulfilled with finality at that point. So the worldwide gathering before regeneration occurs tells us the reason God does this. The reason he does anything is for the sake of his holy name, period. That's it. He says it over and over again in Ezekiel. For his sake. Yeah, I love the way it's repeated. I do this for the sake of my name. He does it for that reason. We're along for the ride. Really. But he does it for the sake of his name. And he will vindicate his holiness. Israel is the reason, unfortunately, God's name has been profaned among the nations because they did not fulfill the purpose for which God intended them to fulfill. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. They totally blasphemed his name. They profaned it. So God will continue to work with them, to judge them, to purge them, so that they will never again profane his name, ever. And God will call Israel back. There are two regatherings. One has happened. The other one is still future. And if you talk to Jews today, they have no concept about their unbelief. Mm -hmm. 
Matter of fact, I've talked to Orthodox Jews who have said to me, you know what, it's pretty easy following Mosaic Law. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I, I wanted to say, have you actually read the Mosaic Law? Not it's not just Ten Commandments. Sheep. They're not sacrificing sheep. And the sacrificial system is not in existence today. If it was, they wouldn't be able to say how easy it is to follow it. That's Read Numbers. Anyway, so they're not ashamed of their sin. They don't think it's a big deal. The regathering will occur before the start of the tribulation. And this began before 1948 and has continued since. Okay, where's the... Okay, I won't go into all this. So 23. Pardon me? We'll come back on 23. Yeah, we'll come back. Oh, we may not be here next week. Let's so say I we won't be. Yes, that's, Pardon me? That's fine. We won't be here next week. Okay, my so. wife is telling me we won't it's be here. It's our grandson's <laughs> third birthday. So. And we're going to be up in Chattanooga. So I will send out an email to remind everyone, but then we'll plan on coming two weeks from today.